0: chapter 11 is where we will study God's word together this morning. Matthew chapter number 11. We're back in our study of the book of Matthew, which we've entitled this series, The King of Heaven. So today we will hear what the gospel writer Matthew has to say to us, what we are to learn and how we are to be changed and transformed as a result of his word, God's word. Matthew chapter number 11, we will begin in verse number two. And we'll read the entirety of the remaining uh, parts of uh, Matthew chapter 11. We'll go to the end. As is our custom, let us us stand in honor and reverence to God's holy word. Matthew chapter 11, beginning with verse number two. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf here. And the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. And the violence take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Therese, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Saddam, they would have repented long ago and sat cloth in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Saddam than for you. And you, Caponium, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Come to me, all who labor and are heaven laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. and You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Expectations. We all have expectations. When I do marital counseling, first thing I tell people is there is one crucial C that's important in marriage outside of Christ. Communicate. And what you need to communicate to one another is your Expectations. If you expect me to do something, tell me. If you don't tell me, then don't expect it of me. You want me to take out the trash? Tell me. You want me to cook dinner? Tell me. Expectations. We all have expectations. As you all know, I'm an avid football fan. I have the blessing and the curse of being a Dallas Cowboys fan. And anybody, anybody who is a Dallas Cowboys fan has one expectation of the Cowboys at the beginning of the season. Win the Super Bowl. When it come, watch yourself. Watch yourself. When it comes to the Dallas Cowboys, it is Super Bowl or bust. We don't feel good about ourselves because we had a winning record because we went to the playoffs, because we even won a playoff game. And those have been hard to come by for the last couple of decades. (laughs) We have these expectations. And every, when I was, a few years ago, when I was younger, and I'm not that old, oops, that was not funny. (laughs) I'm not. I had these expectations of the Super Bowl. And then I would go and watch the football game. And then what would happen is they would lose more than they would win. My expectations were not being met. They signed some of the best free agents. They had the best, uh, 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 all the amenities that a team could have. They had all, We had these expectations that this team would win. But yet that was not our experience. And Lord, was I frustrated. Y'all, it used to be so bad that that when the Cowboys lost, my wife knew. Don't talk to him. Because he had these high expectations. But that is not what his experience was. Have you ever been in a place where your, your expectations were not matched by your experience? Some of you are here today. You had expectations, expectations that you would be further ahead in life, but that is not what your current experience is. You you had expectations that, that you would be in a different career, in a different city. You had different expectations, but that is not what your current reality is. Have you ever been there? If so, you can identify with John the Baptist. John the Baptist had certain expectations of Christ, Jesus Christ, who who was to be the Messiah. He had certain expectations of what the Messiah would do and what the Messiah would be. He had expectations that the Messiah would come with vengeance and he would make all things right. Enemies would be put under his foot. Those were his expectations. And then this man Jesus comes along and here John is. He has declared that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he has these expectations of Jesus that he would come with judgment, that all the enemies of God would be crushed. Yet, here's his experience. He finds himself in prison. He's in prison because he spoke truth to power. And power didn't like the truth that he spoke. So power said, we're going to put him in prison. Here John the Baptist is in prison, yet he he felt like he thought that Jesus was the Messiah and he expected the Messiah to come and crush God's enemies, yet his experience is, my enemies seem to be winning. And so now that his expectations and his experience are out of harmony. He now is struggling with doubt concerning Jesus. And John the Baptist, now that he has this doubt about who Jesus really is, if he's the Messiah or not, he from prison, he sends his disciples and he sends them to Jesus to ask this question. Are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? Before I actually get into this text, on, some, on one hand, this passage is somewhat comforting as a believer to know that there are times in life where we will deal with some doubt. But John the Baptist teaches us what to do with our doubt. You bring your doubt to Jesus. And that's what John the Baptist does here. And here's Jesus' response to John, to, to, to the disciples of John. He says, tell John that the blind receive their sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Jesus, did you answer the question? It was pretty, this is a pretty, this is one of those questions where it's easy. is yes or no. And Jesus says neither. Not explicitly. What is Jesus doing here when he talks about his deeds, his miracles and his works? What Jesus is doing is pointing John the Baptist back to scripture. Two scriptures are enlightening here. One would be the prophecy of Isaiah found in chapter 35, verses 4 through 6. Isaiah chapter 35, verses 4 through 6. Here's what it says. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. You go from there, not only do we see Isaiah 35, and when we think about Isaiah 35 contextually, we learn that it is said that God would come, he would judge the nations by bringing destruction to their lands. However, he would save his people. And part of the saving acts will be that the blind receive their sight, The deaf would hear. In addition to Isaiah 35, Jesus here likely has Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 on his mind, which reads, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And we know that Jesus applies that Isaiahic passage to himself in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. He is the one who, whom the spirit of the Lord God has been put upon because he brings good news to the poor. And so Jesus here in this message says, the blind receive the sight, their deaf can hear, and the good news is being preached to the poor. That's what was prophesied, John. You know that. You know the scriptures. and That's what is happening. And Jesus is essentially answering John's question concerning whether Jesus is the one who is to come by saying that my deeds, my mighty works, my miracles prove that I am indeed the Messiah that has been prophesied. In the compassionate ministry of Jesus, God is visiting his people just as he promised. So the answer to John's question regarding if Jesus is the Messiah is a resounding yes. Jesus wanted John to know the day of vengeance is coming. There will be a day when all of God's enemies will get what's coming to them. But first, the gospel must be proclaimed. God's people must be saved. So that's the first evidence that Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah. He says, let's look together at the the miracles of Jesus. But then, to give additional evidence to the revelation of Jesus as the Messiah, he says, I also want us to look at the ministry of John the Baptist himself. The ministry of John the Baptist himself. Beginning after responding to John's disciples, Jesus turns to the crowd. And he wants them to know some vital information about John the Baptist. And he sent, essentially wants them to get one point about John the Baptist. He's the GOAT. GOAT, G-O-A-T, greatest of all time. We, we, when we're talking, we have all these discussions about who's the GOAT, Michael Jordan or LeBron. Exactly. And, and Jesus will say, neither It's J.B. Look at verse 11. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus is still answering the initial question. Are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? Jesus is answering that question and his answer is to the crowds now. Look at the ministry of John the Baptist. If you look at the ministry of John the Baptist, you will find another answer to your question. Again, remember, Matthew is all about the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. That's his main tool for proving that Jesus is the long awaited Messiah. So we ought to believe and trust in him. And so what does Matthew do? He pulls back from the Old Testament. He goes back to the book that's right before the book of Matthew, Malachi. Malachi chapter three, verse one. Here is what is prophesied. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. That speaks of one who was going to prepare the road to which Jesus would travel down to come or the Messiah would come. And if we go back to Matthew chapter three, we know that John the Baptist fulfilled that ministry. Malachi chapter four, verses five through six. Here's what it says. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Jesus is making it plain that John the Baptist is the messenger who has prepared the way from him. And John the Baptist is also the one who comes in the spirit of Elijah. And Jesus says in verse 11 that this truth makes John the Baptist the greatest of all human beings. Out of all the Old Testament prophets, John had the privilege of being the forerunner of the Messiah. So John the Baptist is the greatest, not just because he's a prophet, but he's actually the fulfillment of prophecy as well. But watch this. Jesus says, as great as John the Baptist is, yet the one who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Beloved, this is not about John's personal salvation. This is about the old covenant era versus the new covenant era. John is under the old covenant. However, everyone who is under the new covenant has a prominent place in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus here is bringing out the wonder of the kingdom. Beloved, to be in the kingdom is a privileged position. So essentially, here is Jesus' argument regarding John the Baptist. If John the Baptist is the one who prepares the way for the coming Messiah, and if he is the prophesied Elijah, then Jesus himself must be the Messiah. Jesus is the manifestation of Yahweh. So, Jesus has answered the initial question. Are you the Messiah? And Jesus says, you can look at my miracles. They were prophesied about, and now I'm fulfilling them. But then you can also look to the ministry of John the Baptist. He has fulfilled prophecy himself, but he was to prepare the way for me. So listen to even the testimony of John the Baptist, and you will know that I am indeed the Messiah. That's the truth. Here's the question. How will people respond to this Messiah? And there are two responses here in our text. Jesus says, "For there are some who hear the truth that I am the Messiah, but yet they will be condemned because of their unbelief. Look at the uncondemned. Jesus says, he, Jesus has done mighty works throughout multiple cities. And those miracles testify to his messiahship. The works that accompany the message of Christ should have led to faith in Christ. However, this was not the case for many. Jesus calls out three cities. The first two are together, Churazin and Bethsaida. and He pronounces a woe to them a warning of judgment to come. And he says they are under God's judgment because they refuse to repent and believe in Jesus. He says to them that if the mighty works done in them would have been done in and Sedan, then they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Tiran Sedan was large cities on the Mediterranean and were denounced by Old Testament prophecies because of their Baal worship. And Jesus says, as idolatrous as Tyre and Sidon were, if they would have seen the miracles that I performed, they would have repented. And so he says, Chirazin and Bethsaida, you are worse than Tyre and Sidon. The third city is that of Capernaum. That was his base of operations for missions. It was his adopted hometown. that he says, he asks, will you be exalted to heaven? And Jesus says, you will be brought down to Hades. They are damned. And Jesus says that if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But i tell you that it would be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Recall that Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed by sulfur and fire because of how perverse they were. And Jesus says to Croponium, it's actually going to be more tolerable for them than for you. I know, you're asking, preacher, what are the implications of these woes, these warnings of judgment? We live in a day of great evil. There's genocide, infanticide, ethnic cleansing, and the like. I think we all would agree that these are great evils. And I'm convinced that God will indeed bring great judgment on on those responsible for these heinous acts. Yet these atrocities, as horrible as they are, are not the worst of sins. At the top of the list of the worst sin a person could commit is the sin of unbelief. To reject Jesus is to bring condemnation on oneself. And beloved, here's the reality. We have more evidence and reasons to believe in Jesus as the Messiah than even Caponia. We live on the other side of the cross, on the other side of the resurrection. We have unlimited access to the gospel here in America. And for those who fail to believe, Jesus says you too are condemned. Let me see if I can make somebody mad then. I just wonder what would happen in our world if the church was as passionate about the sin of unbelief as we were about the sin of abortion. What would happen if we were as passionate about unbelievers as we are the unborn? And Jesus, would, I, I'm convinced that Jesus would say that abortion is a horrible sin and he will deal with it. But yet Jesus elevates the sin of unbelief to the top of the list. And he says, to those who fail to believe, you will be cast down to Hades. Now, now here's the thing. Maybe, maybe we don't really feel this because we have a softer view of what belief really is. Because oftentimes when we think of belief, we think the assent or the agreement to some uh, uh, facts, and most of us in here will say, Yeah, I agree to the truth of the gospel. I believe that that, that, that I'm a sinner and I deserve God's eternal punishment. We would agree with the facts that Jesus died for our sins. We would agree with the facts that he was buried. We would agree with the facts that he rose from the grave. And we would we actually believe that if we believe, we will be saved. That is true. Belief is more than just an agreement with a set of facts. To believe, beloved, is to surrender one's life to Jesus, to follow him at whatever the cost may be. To to believe is to say, he is now the master, the ruler, the Lord of my life. He is in control of my life. And what he says do, I will do. That's because I believe. So belief ought to lead to an action where our hearts are changed, our, our behavior is changed. Jesus says to anybody who doesn't believe, they will be cast down to Hades. You are sentenced to the deepest recesses of Hades. It was all because of a failure to repent. So some will respond by still not believing. They are the condemned. There's another group who will respond to Jesus as the Messiah. They are the accepted. They are the accepted. Jesus says he gives God praise that He has hidden these things from the wise and the understanding. And Jesus says, the father has chosen to reveal himself in the gospel to certain ones through his son. And to those who receive revelation. They are to repent. And so Jesus now extends an open invitation. Look at verse number 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Beloved, Jesus has an open invitation to those who are weary and burdened down Jesus is speaking contextually to those who are weary from carrying the heavy load of trying to be right with God through their performance and through behavior management as outlined by the scribes and the Pharisees these scribes and Pharisees had put such a heavy load on people that they that these people now had grown tired and they were exhausted from trying to earn their way to God. And Jesus says to that crowd, "I know you're tired. I know the burden is too heavy. So I've come to give you rest." And so Jesus says to those who are weary and burdened down, he says, "Take my yoke upon you." And learn from me, oh beloved. This the 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 word pictures here are marvelous. The yoke was was like a, was a beam that was harnessed on two animals together, so that they could pull or or plow a cart. Uh, and typically, these two animals animals would be yoked together. Now, one of the animals was the trained animal; the other animal was the untrained animal. And the purpose of them being yoked together would be for the trained animal, the experienced animal, to, 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 to train the untrained animal. And so Jesus uses that picture, that agricultural metaphor, to say, if you are weary and heavy laden, come to me. I'm going to put this yoke upon you. But here's the good news. I'm the experienced one. I'm going to carry the the, the brunt of the burden. Jesus says, yoke up with me. I'll teach you how to follow me. I'll help you carry the burden. I'll teach you how to love God. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That word learn comes from the same word that is translated "disciple." And so what Jesus here is doing is he's given an open invitation to discipleship. That's what discipleship is. Discipleship is learning of Christ. It is a lifelong process of learning how to live as God requires. And Jesus is the one you want to learn from because here's what he says. He is gentle and lowly of heart. I must admit that this was at first a struggle for me. Because at first, I just read verses 20 through 24, and what I hear Jesus doing is condemning people to hell. And he's making it clear that he is a God of judgment. And so the one who just said, y'all going to hell, now is saying, I am gentle and lowly in heart. Which one is it, Jesus? Are you gentle and lowly or are you the fire and brimstone? And Jesus says, yes. To those who don't trust him as the Messiah, who to those who don't accept him as the Messiah, he is a judge that condemns. But to those who accept him as the Messiah, he is a savior. He is gentle and lowly in heart. Beloved, in Jesus we find rest, refreshment, and renewal. There may be someone here today that you are in a similar condition of those who Jesus was speaking to. You're weary, burdened down. You're tired from the challenges of life. Someone may be carrying the burden of your past, and you've been carrying it for far too long. You've been carrying the loads of guilt and shame. And you see Jesus more as fire and brimstone. You're exhausted from trying to be right with God by by sheer willpower and behavior management. And you continue to fail. To those who are on the verge of giving up and giving out, Jesus says to you, I am gentle and lowly. I am meek and humble. So bring it all to me. Jesus says, come to him. Is that you? Are you hurting? Are you broken? Are you desperate? The one who is gentle and lowly says, come to me. Learn from me. I have rest for you. Our Lord is gentle. He's not heavy handed. He's not cruel. He is humble. Let me be clear, the rest that Jesus offers, beloved, is not the rest of inactivity. This rest that Jesus offers is a relationship that leads to serving him for his glory and for the sake of his name. Someone here this morning, your soul may be tired. You're exhausted. And you're wondering, is life worth living anymore? Jesus says, come to me. Now, let me make make something very clear. This is not a health and wealth gospel. This is not a promise that if you come to Jesus, all your trials, all your burdens will go away. That's not what, what I'm saying, and that's not what this text means. What the text clearly says is, when you come to Jesus, when you are burdened, He will be right there with you. And He will carry that burden with you. And together, you will find rest. Even as you have burdens on your shoulders, Jesus will refresh you, revive you, renew you. It has been said, there's this cliche. God will never put more on you than you can bear. This past week, my wife and I went to a visitation for Lauren Tracy, who used to be a member here, he and his family. Lauren contracted COVID, and he had complications from that, and he passed away. Left behind a wife, 34 years old I think and four young children but the oldest maybe not being even 10 if that wife and that mom was here today she'd tell you there, God may put more on you than you can bear the question that she said she had was how am I going to do this I'm thankful for a wife who loved Jesus. And she's told Morgan, as great of a partner Tracy was, there is a greater partner in Jesus. And though it seems right now that he has put more on you than you can bear, the good news is that he will bear the weight of the burden for you to make it lighter for you. So you who are weary, you who are burdened, we have this hope where Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. I can't help to think about my own baby, Lily. She has those times where she just melts down for no reason at all. And you can just see she's struggling. She's melting down for something that's important to her. There are times where I just look at her and I'm just like, Lily, come to daddy. You're struggling right now. Come to me. And she finds comfort in the embrace of her father. And Jesus is saying to you, whatever the burden may be, I see you're struggling. You can't handle it. Come to me. I'm gentle. And I am me. Let us stand.